Hey, you like cars? Well, so do I. Take a seat real quick. You're listening to Car Quicks. Car Quicks is back. Car Quicks is back. I'm sure you're excited to hear my voice because what else would you be listening to right now other than the world's greatest automotive automotive podcast ever i said automotive (laughs) this is one of the best automotive podcasts ever created you listen to it right now don't care about the competition they got nothing on me okay my personality reigns supreme but good old hand rub for the excitement episode 10 is here okay cheer hand claps I made it 10 episodes. That's 10 weeks back to back to back to back again. So I'm going to have my little celebration. Wait till I get to like 100 episodes. You might hear me doing a burnout. Well, well not in my car because I got all my drive. But you're going to hear something. So be prepared for that, okay? Just think about the future. When I'm at 100 episodes, it's going to be marvelous, okay? time is coming but this is episode 10 glad to have you here again hope everybody's feeling good if you're not feeling good you know take a moment to meditate sit back become stoic you know always remember it could be worse whatever you're probably going through family's doing good i'm doing well the wife is doing well life is well friends are good and as always the car news doesn't stop. It's actually a pretty exciting week this time because we're going to go back to the episode prior because there's some information that came out this week. There's a big reveal. I'm sure if you're into the car world, you already know what I'm alluding to because there's only one very big thing that everybody was waiting for as a successor. Not that I got the money to buy one, but it's still awesome to talk about cars even if they're out of your price range. Okay, I like regardless. So I'm just gonna, let's just jump right let's just jump right into that. The new Lamborghini's out. Okay? Not another Huracan, Technica, STO, Performante, whatever version of the same Lamborghini that they've been doing with an extra bit of carbon fiber and intakes and winglets and whatever else it may be. This is a true successor to the Aventador. Now, I purposely went out of my way to go find some videos of somebody pronouncing this car. The Revuelto. Uh-huh. Yeah, you heard that. Real Italian. Spelled R-E-V-U-E-L-T-O. Revuelto. That is now the successor to the Aventador. I didn't go look up the name of what it meant. I'm pretty sure. There's some famous bull that killed 900 matadors, and that's what it's named after. I mean, there's a growing theme with the name of these cars, okay? But the flagship, Revuelto is out. The successor to the Aventador that's been out for a very long time. Multiple models have been out. The last major one would probably be the SVJ that everybody really likes. But this one came out. I mean, 
there was I, when I first saw it, I actually was kind of like excited. I was like, it looks dope. I mean, it's a Lamborghini, right? Because like out, a Lamborghini in general is gonna look good regardless. So I kind of saw it and I was like, okay, it looks dope. But as I was looking at it, I kind of was a little turned off. But I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are some iconic flagship Lamborghinis. The Murcielago looks fantastic. I mean, even people that modify them. Like, there's some people I follow on Instagram. They have really, really dope Murcielagos that are just modified. They look amazing. Simple design, wedge design, very classic Lamborghini. You know, that was a truly well-designed car coming from the Diablo. The Aventador is very good as well, too. More aggressive, a little simpler on the design. And now this one is a lot more aggressive. And if I'm really thinking about how it looks, there's a side of me that would have liked it to be a little bit more like retro clean. I understand that Lamborghini really, for all their intents and purposes, their whole entire design is always going to be very aggressive and in your face. You know, look at me. I'm a Lamborghini, but it would have been really cool to see a very like modernized, clean design. I'll give you an example. So they use the Aventador and they made the Countach kind of like body style thing. And I know there's some like people that are like, it's basically an Aventador. There's nothing to be excited about. It's not a Countach. I mean, nothing could be a Countach. That's too iconic. But the idea of kind of having that like modernized retro. It looked really good to me. Like I, if if I'm gonna buy an Aventador, if you said you got to go get some super special edition one, I'd go grab the Countach one because it just looks really cool to me. It it kind of marries the old school design, brings it into the new one, and so to me, if they would have done that kind of like retro future on this successor, I think it would have been super crazy, mind blowing. But regardless. How it looks now is still really, really fire. So if you look at it, if you remember some of the other concept cars that Lamborghini did. So they had this, I say Scion, but that sounds like the Toyota cars or Cian, S-I-A-N. So the front end has like the boomerang headlight, LED light, you know, big grill intakes um, front lip kind of integrates like fangs into the front bumper. If you see the Huracan Technica, it looks similar to that one. There's always design elements from all the other cars. If you've seen some of the other recent last concepts that they did, they clearly are pulling from that for this for this one here. And we already know the drivetrain because on the last episode, you know, I talked about the V12, the hybrid, 1,001 horsepower, 813 on the V12, naturally aspirated. But one of the cool things is that they have do driving modes. And one of the ones that they are talking a lot about is how it applies to the EV mode of the car. And that's called the Cheetah. It's basically an EV mode. So if you're in a city, an Italian little town, as they always talk about, because it's in Italy, you can put it into EV mode and it drives at that point. And if it happens to be depleted as far as the battery, the V12 will kick on and it can recharge the, I think it was like a three point something kilowatt battery in the, in the transmission tunnel, if I remember correctly. It can recharge that entire thing in six minutes, which is actually, that's actually impressive. 
goes to show you, you know, big engine, a lot of cylinders, a lot of moving parts, recharges it well. So that's one of the big modes. And what I didn't know previously is that the horsepower changes for the mode. So I think if you have it in Cheetah, it breaks, it only runs off EV. So EV has like a hundred and something horsepower, let's say 170. Then you get to like Sport, it's like 813. Then it's like Sport Plus, it's 896. Then you get to like Corsa, Sport Plus, the highest one, brings out all the 1,001 horsepower. So the power modes are going to change depending on the driving mode you're in. And interior-wise, this is one of the things that I wanted to see because the old Aventador had a pretty dated interior. Not that it didn't look exciting because you're in a Lamborghini, but as far as the other competitors and what cars are looking like, it didn't look as modernized and as new as it should look. So, you know, they definitely updated all of that. You already know they put the digital dash on both the driver, the center, and now the passenger gets a little screen for them to see how fast you're going, which, I mean, it's cool. I know they do that a lot in the exotic cars, like an extra screen on the passenger side. Though to me, I guess it works if you want them to control music, like the playlist. If you could watch something, if it feels like a screen that you can mirror something to. I think that'd be a little bit more entertaining, though they already got that in like, you know, SUVs and minivans or screens on the back of the, on the seat. So it's nothing really to like, I don't know, spend too much R&D on to do, but it shows the same thing that Ferrari has on theirs. It's just speed, gear changes, you know, gear selector, whatever you're on for the driver, the passenger can see. They didn't really talk much in the reveal about whatever the infotainment system is, but I'm sure it's been completely redesigned because it's owned by basically the Volkswagen group. I'm sure it's been Audi, Audi-fied somehow, some way, I'm sure in there. They're using their technology because Lamborghini is not going to spend a bunch of money R&D infotainment technology. Like, why? Just go get whoever has it in Volkswagen Group and throw that wireless Android Auto and car playing there and call it a day. But as far as the looks go, very nice. Very nice. I saw one from Supercars of London. I was watching his channel. And he showed one that was in like this Battleship Grey. Because all the ones that showed in the press release was an orange one bright orange bright yellow he showed this battleship gray one that had like tan leather interior and i was like yo that spec is ridiculous it looked like a battleship spaceship had dropped down and that's the one thing about lamborghinis that's always good is that if you want a car that just has a presence of just being an event when it shows up that's always going to be a lamborghini like especially the flagship. I think the Huracan kind of hides in there, similar to like the Audi R8, but an Aventador, the Revuelto, that one, those are always going to have a presence where they show up and it's basically a lot of theater, a lot of, you know, spectacle, so to speak. But I'm ready to hear what it sounds like. I know somebody's going to drive it soon. I don't know if anybody revved the engine or had anything on there. I'll circle back to that at another day. Like tomorrow, I'll go through my normal YouTube watching and see if anybody had driven it. A lot of walk-around videos, people getting inside of it. I mean, it's it's a showcase. And they said it sold out for the next two years, which is, who, who didn't think that was going to be the case? Because they already showed the car to all the other potential owners and buyers. And, you know, they bought it up. I mean, if you if I owned a Lamborghini, a Ventador, and they called me and said, hey, do you want to put your name down for our upcoming flagship that you haven't seen? I'd be like, sure. I mean, like, 
how is it not going to be good? It's going to be exotic. It's going to look crazy. I'm going to get one. If I don't like it, I can definitely sell it and flip it for probably double what I'm going to pay for it. And then we also have the special edition models that are coming out. So we're not even done yet. We have both SVJs, SVs, whatever other option and models they come out with. So just to see this at the beginning and to see how aggressive it looks means that later down the line, when we get to the other models and the other performance versions that they're going to do, it's gonna we're going to have this conversation again. So somewhere around episode 200 or something, when they're talking about some other new model they have, we're going to be talking about what it does. But outside of Lamborghinis and, you know, EV modes, actually, there's, there's a parallel here. The uh, CEO of... I think it's Dodge Chrysler, Stellantis. He was talking about how they have an issue with the global supply of EV batteries and how that's going to cause basically an issue with how people are setting up these EVs, how these manufacturers are going to go about doing this battery production. This has come up a bunch of times. I've listened to other car podcasts and some get into heated debates and battles about how are we going to do the batteries, what, you know, what, the con is going to be and some people saying oh folks don't care because you put batteries in your cell phone and if you really care you get rid of your cell phone just just kind of ridiculous takes because it doesn't it doesn't quantify like the, the issue at hand that I would think that some people could talk about because while I'm excited about EVs and everything I always say there's a con somewhere like there's no perfect example gasoline and fracking and pulling oil out the ground is probably not done in the most environmentally friendly way. We already know it hasn't. There's enough oil spills and environmental damage that we've seen from it. But I also do not believe that you're just going to start mining batteries and the minerals needed for them out of the earth at the level you need to in order to basically do a shift from fuel to battery. So essentially, if we were using batteries at the level we're using fuel now and oil, I would imagine that we'd start seeing some type of issue. I don't know where, but something because you're pulling from the earth. You're pulling from natural resources. And so natural resources are being created and used to put a balance on things. I mean, I don't I'm not an expert. I'm not about to deep dive into the geographical implications of drilling out cobalt or whatever other lithium ion they need out of the ground but i'm just saying if you're drilling a whole lot of stuff and you're pulling mills off the ground we start getting some wild earthquakes i'm like yo should have put one of them tesla batteries back okay things getting a little crazy out here but that's the conversation we're going to keep hearing more and more of right every manufacturer is trying to make electric cars that is what they want to do that is the aim and that is a drive i do feel like in my opinion a lot of it too is just the easy it's the easy scapegoat Right. If we think about environmental issues, there are other things that are also equally as big and equally as impactful on the earth. Cars is just an easy one. Right. It's it's an easy one. and There's money to be made. Follow the dollar, as they always say. There's money to be made here. If we make new EV cars and we were talking a couple of years back about how this generation millennials aren't really into cars. I highly disagree. I'm in that millennial you know, age group and plenty of us like cars but when they were talking about the next generation isn't gonna like cars they don't really care about it they don't want to drive stick they don't like how it's dirty and get it was it's like a perfect segue 
to introduce EVs that are priced at sixty and seventy-five and a hundred thousand dollars, and now we got this new wave of money. Like I've said before, when I've talked about EVs, it's like it's the grass is green. We are in the beginning infancy stages of making EVs. We are in the very beginning. So what it will look like 30 years from now is vastly different than what it looks like now. But if you wanted to get people excited about having cars or buying them or being willing to come up with very high car notes or just paying these cars, EVs is a perfect example. It is a perfect way to get people excited about something that they initially were starting to pull back from and it's a status symbol people love tesla even though a model three is essentially just a regular basic car it's nothing it's nothing outrageous anybody can get one if you you know if you're doing well have a decent job you want to go buy a car it costs the same as some fully loaded accord camry audi whatever you may see but tesla still holds a value or a look that is even beyond those cars even though there are some luxury cars that are well well more manufactured at a higher level of quality than those, but they won the mind share of the public. So in my, uh, you know, uneducated opinion or half educated, I'll say half educated because I read about this stuff. I look at it. I observe. I see what people are buying. There is an opportunity for all these manufacturers to have something very profitable for their business by introducing people to new EVs and giving them the good old pat on the back and say, hey, you looked out for the environment and you got yourself a new car. I mean, it's a it's almost a have your cake and eat a two scenario. But, you know, that's going to be we're going to be more and more into that later on. I mean, as as this goes on, the more and more people driving cars and the more and more EVs are coming in, this, this conversation is going to be ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. We're Like I said, we're at the beginning stage, so. It's interesting to see CEOs, though, start talking about it now, meaning that they're seeing the issues in their own supply chain, even if there's others that are maybe some opinions might discount it and say it's not a big deal. We'll figure it out. And we will. But it's interesting to see because that means they're seeing some they're seeing some issues. Some stuff is kind of getting backed up in their supply chain as far as what they're doing. Now. I'm going to get back to the EV thing. I'm going to take a break off the EV news because there is some other news in the EV land that kind of speaks to the whole battery thing. But let's kind of talk about a little bit of personal, personal car. Well, not my car, but in the GR Corolla because, you know, the coolest hot hatch out in the market right now. Go get yourself one. But somebody did the money shift on a GR Corolla. And if you're into cars and you know about manual transmissions, the money shift is a term used for basically you over-revving the engine, meaning let's say you're driving hard. For anybody that hasn't driven a stick, this is going to be a little bit of an educational piece. Let's say you're driving a stick, you're going through the gears, you're driving a car hard, you're going through the rev range. Let's say you're in fourth gear and you're winding it out to the red line. You get close to the red line. Well, actually, no, fourth gear is a bad term because you wouldn't. Yeah, fourth gear could work. You're in fourth gear. You rev it all the way to the red line. You're getting close to it. Red line's coming. You go to shift, but instead of you shifting into fifth gear to get to, you know, more RPMs, different gear, you go right back into third. Yeah. Moment of silence. Because the noises that you will hear 
after you do that, unsettling, disturbing, unbecometh, <laughs> okay? It's not it's nothing you want to hear, okay? Because your engine is toast, detoast, okay? Out of there. You're going to over-rev it. If the red line was 7,000, that joint probably jumped to like 9,000 or 10, something it can't do, and a piston or something is going to come out the block. Or in the famous words of Vin Diesel, now me and the mad scientist got to replace the piston range you fried, okay, because you, you done fried something. But somebody in a GR Corolla on the forum basically did the money shift. Or what they suspect is that there was some valve float, which usually comes from an over-rev. However... What's very interesting about this story is that Toyota is replacing the whole engine. They're footing the bill. They said, this is crazy. They said the entire bill is $32,000. That's almost the car. This also kind of proves something. Cars can cost a certain amount, and we're going to also talk about car prices, but it's interesting how much stuff costs when you try to do it after the fact. Like If you try to go buy a whole engine have it put on and a whole drivetrain. It's like three quarters of the cost of the car. So it's funny because you realize when you're manufacturing at such a massive level, like Toyota, a lot of that stuff is for cost. The body, the paint, the interior, the seats and stuff like that's kind of like much cheaper because you're doing it in mass. But when you're doing like special hand-built motors like the three-cylinder, the G16E, when you're doing that three-cylinder turbo motor that's built in Japan, it's a lot more expensive to get that back over here because it's not like one of the old tried-and-true V6s or inline fours that Toyota has used for decades. So somebody had this happen. They didn't really get much information on whether it was the owner's fault or an issue happened when it over-revved. It could have been, maybe it could have been the IMT system, which is a intelligent manual transmission which does a rev matching in the car. Maybe that freaked out did something wrong and just rev that thing to the to the sky and the whole it's you know piston blew out the side of the block so be careful out there if you're in a gr corolla i mean we can already see it you over rev it's gonna be you on the side of the road with your thoughts you know trying to figure out what just happened that's pretty crazy though thirty two thousand dollars thirty two thousand dollars is crazy to redo that whole thing i was thinking like 10 but the entire car, wild. And speaking of the cost of it, not that this is a Toyota segment, but we're, we're still talking about Toyotas. So one of the Toyota execs recently talked about the cost of cars, and this might be a little bit of a rant that's coming up. So prepare yourself, rant time. He was talking about the average cost of vehicles moving forward. And saying that the average transaction price for new cars is going to get past $50,000. Now, last episode, I had a rant about Dodge having the audacity to be charging basically $50,000 for the Dodge Hornet. And that's just, it's a prime example. This is a prime example. These cars are mad expensive. Like, there's no sugarcoating it. Junk is kind of crazy out here. The stuff that you have to pay for, for some basic, is nuts. And then if you want to get into special, specialty, sports specialty, exotic. I don't even want to keep exotic because that's always been the same. But sports specialty, nicer than the average. I want the model above. I don't want the LE. I want the XLE. I don't want the 
standard. I want the premium trim. Just those little things alone are driving these prices through the moon. Like we have a Toyota Sienna, 2022 Toyota Sienna XSE. This thing is basically $50,000 for a minivan. And there's really no way around it, right? Let me not say there's no way around it. Obviously, we have the means to do it. So we did buy the one we wanted. And we also got something that's a little bit more extra accoutrements because we wanted something that was more exciting. And I know somebody's like, yo, dog, it's a minivan. How The words exciting and fun need to be removed from this sentence. But don't don't be a hater, okay? It's it's a dope van, okay? You seen the ones in Japan? How they modify them? I'm, I'm a, one day. You might see it on air in a set of, I don't know, VIP modular wheels. Somebody's will be under the wheel wells. But anyways, I digress. But so we got the XSE model. When you go to get the standard one, like an LE, I mean, it's nothing really in a van. I mean, standard features are very, very good, especially if you're coming from a basic car or if you don't really have anything that's new. The standard features are more than enough, right? But if you're going to spend the money, right, and if you're getting that close to an LE and you say, okay, but we do want to have the captain's chairs. Okay, that's going to be this package. Okay, we do want to put the little TV in the car because it is good to get the kids to have a movie on. We're doing like a road trip, and we don't necessarily want them to just have an iPad to their eyeballs with blue light. The TV in the roof at least can consolidate them down to one screen and they can, you know, choose a movie and not have to, you know, be beholden to their tablets all the time. That's why I wanted it in the roof. Some parents are like, they got iPads. I'm going to pay for that. There's everybody has their reasons, but you want that package. You get the plus package or you get the, you know, entertainment package. But then I was like, I want the 1500 watt inverter. So when we go camping, we can plug into the battery system of the hybrid because it's a hybrid. And we can use it to power things that have up to 1,500 watts, which is pretty much everything. I mean, I put a microwave on this thing, a coffee maker. You can do everything. So you want that. They're like, okay, you got to get this package too. So you do all that on the base one. Then you basically end up in XLE. And they're like, oh, that one is $46,000. Then you look out the window and you say, well, that one on the outside, the body looks more aggressive, even though it's kind of funny on a minivan to have something that looks aggressive and sporty, but we like how it looks. Well, how much is that one? Oh, that's an extra extra $1,500. So then you get into that game and you're like, well, I might as well just get exactly what I want now because none of this is getting paid for in the next five or six years. So we're still going to be paying for it. The difference in cost is $10 a month. And I'm trying to ride this until the wheels fall off. So while I'm riding until the wheels fall off, I might as well be riding in what I really want. And that's how you end up in these transactions being that high. Because if you're going to go out of your way to choose a car and pick what you want or what you've been waiting for, you're going to go and get what you want. Because there's really no other reason to be there unless you're just in a scenario where you need something to get you from point A to B. And if it was that simple, I would argue that you have a better time at buying a car when you don't really care. Like, I like aesthetics. They matter. I like features. I like things in the car. Like, I don't think that should be discounted, especially when you're thinking of how much time you spend in a car or if you want to do a road trip or if you want to go with your friends and family somewhere. The comfort and the way the stereo sounds and the little features and stuff, the conveniences of the car matter. And so when this exec at Toyota is talking about the average cost is going to cost cost 50, I'm like, I believe you. The GR Corolla, 
even that's a specialty hot hatch. Starts at thirty six nine nine something, thirty seven thousand. Um, that's if you can find one at that price, because <laughs> Godspeed, because they're bugging out here. But if you wanted the performance pack, which includes the LSD differentials, I wanted that. That's another about seventeen hundred dollars. So now we're getting up to like thirty eight. Then if you want a technology package, a better sounding stereo system, it's nothing crazy, it's nothing insane, but it sounds better than stock. That's another like $700. So when you add all these things in, you're sitting at like $40,000. And so, and that's for a hot, you know, that's for a special edition Corolla, obviously, but it's not your average one. But the whole point is that when you're looking at cars, especially if you have a family, if you have a family and you need a car that can fit six Six people, five people, seven people, whatever it may be. Four, even four people is a little easier, but regardless, if you have babies and you need space for like a car seat, you need space for a stroller, you need space for a diaper bag, you need space for kids as they get older and they get into sports and maybe they're playing baseball, maybe they're playing football or basketball. I got to put their gear in the back. I got to pick up their friends. We got a carpool with this family over here. We're trying to pick up our family over here, trying to go to the movies. You need space, and the bigger the car gets, and the more you need, the more expensive it gets. Like, there's really no way around it. So it is kind of wild. And it's not coming down. We got into the scenario, we had a Toyota Sequoia, right? Our Toyota Sequoia got destroyed in the infamous freeze in Texas that basically took us out. I'm on the freeway. I'm driving, right? My wife's not even here. She's actually in another country with our daughter. I'm driving in the car, my two boys, um, it's snow everywhere on the ground, okay? The streets is the streets are tarnished. It's it's a mess out here. Cause when it snows in Texas, let me tell you something. Nobody knows what to do. See, I grew up on the East Coast and the West Coast. So I went from sunny to snow. I know how to drive in the snow. The Sequoia has all wheel drive. I'm cruising in the center lane, which actually has snow on it, but there's better traction there. Then on the side that trucks had driven through because it got cold at night and it's kind of like black ice there. I'm looking at cars slip and slide on the freeway because they're not understanding where they should really be trying to drive. So I'm in the center lane. I'm doing, I'm holding it down, going like 15 miles an hour. We're not going fast. We're making our way there. I look up in the rear view and I see somebody that I shouldn't see as quickly as I'm seeing them come up on my rear view. I'm like, whatever you're doing is triple the speed I'm doing. So if I'm doing 20, 25, you're busting down 60, and the ground is white. So this is going to be all bad. And as soon as I had that thought, this person in an F-150 pickup truck tried to shift lanes. As soon as he shifts lane, back end just flies out on him. This man's busting 360s in my rear view catching up to us that's how fast he was going spins he's trying to grab control the truck is spinning around and almost doing the letter j as it passes us and is swinging back up towards me or on the side of where my son was on the passenger side of the of the truck so i accelerate to get past him he clips the rear hatch of ours bounces off us hits another car that was in the other lane unfortunately gets thrown into the wall that person to see this person coming at all because I had accelerated out the way because I didn't want a scenario of him T-boning the side where my three-year-old was at that time. So, you know, we get off the road. I'm, I quickly exchanged 
you know, information because he wants to sit there and talk. And I'm like, dude, we're on the side of the freeway and it's covered in snow and ice. So if we crashed because of you, then I can only imagine if somebody else does, we're sitting ducks on the side of the road. But long story short, that's how the Sequoia got totaled. And that's how we ended up having to go get a Sienna. And that's when I found out about the prices of stuff. And I was just like, I hadn't seen the acceleration in the price because at that point during 2020 and 2021, I wasn't paying attention to the used car market going bananas. So we go to get like a used Sequoia or something like that. I'm looking at prices that are new car prices. I'm like, so you want me to pay how much? And the new one is how much? So we end up with the Sienna. And the price of it proves to me that this guy, this executive is talking about how the transaction price for the cars is going to crush 50000 He's not wrong. And it sounds absolutely nuts. And I'm sure, you know, Dave Ramsey's going to get a hold of that article. He's going to have a field day. But that's just what it is. I don't get caught up in people paying car notes. I used to and talk about it more. But as time went on, I realized, you know, people are working. You work for what you want. You work for the things you want to do. You work for the lifestyle you have because there is no place where you're not working. And I don't mean dead-end jobs. I have a career my wife has a job she enjoys. I mean, some things don't have to be about how fast you can stop working. I don't really foresee myself not working in some capacity, whether it's a passion project that has turned into more, i.e. the podcast, or if it's videoing, you know, things that I like to enjoy and do, or it's further into the technology IT career that I'm in now. So I don't really foresee a future where I'm not working. So the car thing about buying them and how much they cost to me is all relative. Houses are going to cost a certain amount. They're going up in price. Cars are. It's all a part of the ultimate game of the almighty dollar, right? It's, it's the inflation thing. But back to the cars. Enough of the, enough of the rant about lifestyle and things like that. Speaking about back to the EVs, okay? This is kind of a little bit of an EV episode because there's some interesting information. Tying in, oh, Segway King, tying in the IT and the technology, there is a group of guys from a group called Synactive. They were up in Toronto. They're doing this. It's a competition they do to see if ethical hackers can get inside of car infotainment systems. And it's a very cool competition that I, I don't follow it that closely, but I know it happens. And I recently also saw the news article about them hacking into a, te- a Tesla Model 3 infotainment system in like four minutes' time. And they won a bunch of money, like $350,000 plus a Tesla and another bonus amount of money. So they, they're they really known group, and this is the thing that they do. They kind of focus on exploits inside of infotainment system and car technology. And this is really cool to see because this shows where the future is headed. The more these cars become basically technology-driven computers, right? They're driving computers. They're rolling computers. I've talked about this before on on another episode. But they're rolling computers. The more that this happens and the more that we are integrating Wi-Fi technologies and smart keys and integration with our phone, integration with our house, you know, charging, EV charging, all these things have exploits because they're computers. And we have obviously figured out what to do on the computer side of things, whether it's multi-factor authentication, 
whether it's, you know, cybersecurity, things like Bitdefender, those type of parameters are all on our devices. We're used to seeing them. We're used to seeing things like McAfee when you buy a computer or you're used to seeing things on your iPhone when Apple's talking about security and Face ID and your passwords being strong and multi-factor authentication, as I said before. We're used to seeing that on those devices. Where we're not used to seeing it is on your car. And that is going to be one of the most important places that these exploits or that this information should be becoming more and more prevalent. Forget all the AI and the deep fake information. If there's going to be a spot where you don't want to find out the hard way about hacks is in your car. Having somebody take over full control of your car leads to a variety of issues. Case in point, the Dodge Chargers and Challengers right now are being stolen at a stupid rate. I mean, it's ridiculous. If you have one of those, find a garage. But how they're hacking, how they're stealing them is that they're copying the key. When you have your key, any key fob, anyone, any recent key fob is is transmitting some type of signal to your car at all times. So when it's in your house and people hanging up on their key ring, these car thieves are coming with the computer to basically hijack that signal in the air, copy it to the computer, and start the car and drive off, basically reprogram the whole car to their key. And so the only way to really combat that is kind of, it doesn't deal with technology, it's putting the things in a Faraday box, which is to block the signal coming out of it. But something as simple as copying your key shows you where you lead when it comes to hacking into a car from a distance, right? So if your car is putting out a Wi-Fi signal, because a lot of cars have, almost all the cars have Wi-Fi, that's how you do over-the-air updates or OTA updates. There's a signal in the car and there's an antenna and it's sending out a signal. Now imagine somebody hacking into that signal as it comes back to your car, you don't know they did that. You got some bad players in this world. So you get into your car, you start it, you start driving. All of a sudden, nothing's working. Maybe the steering doesn't work. Maybe the brakes don't work. Maybe it takes all your contact information because you loaded up your phone with Apple CarPlay. So while you're in Apple CarPlay, they back into your phone. They get into your text messages, all the information you stored in your iCloud, your passcode, your key lock, all of that stuff. All of a sudden, you're like, yo, how would I lose information to my credit cards and all that? Because they're like, yo, they got into the kernel of the phone. They were in the root of the system. They got everything off that thing, all your info. I know that's kind of eagle eye, you know, Terminator days, you know, end of the days type thing. But those type of things are why they have these competitions. They're trying to see where the exploits are because inevitably they are there. And nobody who's buying a car right now is thinking that somebody's going to hack through what they all call a navigation system. It's beyond navigation systems now. These are full running computers on the back end. And so what I would be interested in seeing and what they're going to do is how manufacturers are going to respond to their security. I mean, you can't buy a car and say, hey, before you go home, stop at Best Buy and buy a copy of Bitdefender to upload to the car's infotainment system. These companies are going to have to have their own security back end. They're going to have to also have a security front end. So it's going to be like how we do at my job, where we have security group, we have a network group. You're going to have to have all this infrastructure in place for cars because that's what, they're, that's what they are. We're doing updates over the air. 
that's a that's a loophole right there. How is that how is that channel, how is that tunnel protected to the car? Yes, it goes back to your servers in the cloud. You download something to the car. How do we stop somebody from intercepting that and then getting into the car's information and then maybe controlling the car or getting your information? A lot of areas, a lot of gray area. And as we get further and further down the road of self-driving cars, now imagine somebody hacked a self-driving car. You thought you were going to work, now you're flying off the bridge. <laughs> you, you thought you were going to get some milk and eggs. Now you're doing the Dale Earnhardt down I-10. You can't do nothing about it. You're just in the seat screaming. <laughs> Yo, it's a wild world out there, I'm telling you. But that could possibly happen. So it's going to be, it's an interesting time. Like, it's cool to see the technology it's cool to see this stuff coming out, but it's also kind of scary because it means that you're vulnerable to something. Like if you don't, you're, there's the unknown about what's going on. So that's going to be interesting to see what they do about those type of things. So these competitions, it's called Pwn to Own, P-W-N-T-P-W-N-2-O-W-N. So you can look it up. It's a cool competition. Cool to see these groups and how the ethical hack into them. And all and all the information goes back to the manufacturers. So for Tesla, they take that information and say, basically, thank you. That's why they pay them because, I mean, it's it's the most valuable information. And then they use that to kind of clean up their back end and also find any other loopholes that they have. Now, getting back to, there was an episode, episode four, I think it was, I was talking about the Tokyo Auto Salon. And... Continuing the EV range, EV, the EV theme, EV range. You see what I did there? EV's range. You caught it. You caught it. Bars. Continuing this, at the Tokyo Auto Salon, I mentioned how Toyota, again, <laughs> Toyota again, was building a AE86, an EV model of an AE86, and one of a hydrogen one. Well, Nissan... Them, they're in the game too. They showed off that they're going to make an EV R32. I don't really have much information. This is kind of just like a PSA. Nissan is working on an EV version of their, you know, Godzilla, the original, the iconic Nissan R32 GTR. So they're making an EV version of that. Supposedly it uses the electric drivetrain or the all-wheel drive system of that. Or I don't know how you say this electric EV concept they have, the Aurora, the R. It's spelled A-R-I-Y-A, I believe. And whatever that system is, whatever that drivetrain system is, they are going to basically implement that into an R32 in order to see how it performs and how they're going to do it. A Nissan engineer is doing it. No other words on it. I can't imagine it won't be dope because I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm actually excited. I want to see how they... Well, they put the engine in the front, if they put the battery in the front, if they're going to make like a fake engine cover that looks like the RB26 or something kind of like futuristic new. So I'm cool. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what that's going to look like. That's going to be a really cool thing. On other news on EV, Lucid Air, unfortunately, is laying off people again. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying. Car prices are high. A Lucid Air is ridiculous. That's like $100,000. They said their demand for their orders is down. They got to lay off about 1,300 jobs. That's across the board, from executives to laborers or whoever they have in their organization. But that proves, again, back to the supply chain of the batteries, back to the cost of the cars. It's a full circle, especially if you're a new startup. I've seen a few Lucid Airs out there. They look extremely nice. 
but they also competing against the monsters of the manufacturing world. So the BMWs, the Fords, the Nissans, all of these companies have very, very big manufacturing protocol. Tesla, they're, you know, a massive force. And Lucid Air is fighting them because Tesla's actively chopping their prices to basically get the competition out the paint because they can do that. But not everybody else can weather that type of storm because they don't have that type of equity or that type of market share. They're trying to get that type of market share. So you're hear a lot more of this, right? As these companies come and go, there's going to be a lot of electric companies. Like I said, we're in the infancy stages. There's going to be a ton of EV companies that come and go. There's a ton of car companies that aren't here no more. Who remembers Eagle? Remember Eagle Talons? Yeah, those don't exist anymore. They have very funny commercials, though. But that company's gone. Where's Pontiac? Out of here. Saturn, gone. Saab, toast. So even the most well-known cars with the most manufacturers, with the most history, with multiple, multiple models, doesn't mean that you're going to make it to the end. Not everybody's going to make it to the end. But we made it to the end. Made it to the end of episode 10. Uh-huh, Segway King. It's been a good one. You know, the future's bright. That's all I can say. Future's bright. Oh, quick, quick one. The GR Corolla. I got some, I got some. The mods have begun. Uh-huh, you heard me right. Modifications on the GR Corolla are here now. I got my taillight and headlight overlays in. I'm about to turn the taillights cherry red the front headlights are going to be dark smoke. The reflectors are dark smoke. I'm trying to do this. Well, right now it's, it's nighttime. But hopefully I can do it probably tomorrow before I go to Cars and Coffee on the weekend. So, you know, I can stunt. You know, I want people to see my wholly modified taillights and front headlights. We'll see how easy it is to put this on. I don't know. I think my headlights are actually... I PPF the headlights, I believe, when they did the front end. So I may not be able to do the headlights right away, but I can do the taillights. But as I said, we made it to the end. Glad you could join me. Hope I was informative. Well, I know I was informative. Okay, where else are you going to get this news? Greatest podcast, car podcast on the world. Hope you're entertained. And as always, do as you wish. Do as you may. This is Cameron, your host, and this is Car Quicks. I'll see y'all around. Take care.